God speaks through specific times and specific places. That's very, very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And we are studying in Bible Discovery TV through the Bible. We land in Ezekiel chapter 40. And this is something as we begin the last journey of Ezekiel here. Uh, it's going to get interesting in the next few days, so stay with us. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at certain kinds of trees today. Ryan? Today, as Ezekiel looks forward to God's new temple, I'm going to be looking back to the original temple, which was actually a tabernacle. Uh, very interesting. Those pieces are coming up in about 20 minutes' time. And uh, our teaching's coming up in five minutes, 25 minutes. You're doing mm -hmm. what? A new creation is my segment. All right, a new creation. Get your Bible out, the most important book you'll ever read. It is the Word of God. That's what we believe. And get your Bible guide. If you don't have your Bible guide, why not? We'll tell you how to get a hold of yours later. In the meantime, let's look at what God says. Ezekiel 40, verses 1, then 6 through 16. In the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. Verse 6 Then he went to the gateway which faced east, and he went up its stairs and measured the threshold of the gateway, which was one rod wide, and the other threshold was one rod wide. Each gate chamber was one rod long and one rod wide. Between the gate chambers was a space of five cubits, and the threshold of the gateway by the vestibule of the inside gate was one rod. He also measured the vestibule of the inside gate, one rod. Then he measured the vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and the gate posts, two cubits. The vestibule of the gate was on the inside. In the eastern gateway were three gate chambers on one side and three on the other. The three were all the same size. Also, the gateposts were of the same size on this side and that side. He measured the width of the entrance to the gateway, ten cubits, and the length of the gate, thirteen cubits. There was a space in front of the gate chambers, one cubit on this side and one cubit on that side. The gate chambers were six cubits on this side and six cubits on that side. Then he measured the gateway from the roof of one gate chamber to the roof of the other. The width was 25 cubits, as door faces door. He measured the gate posts, 60 cubits high, and the court all around the gateway extended to the gate post. From the front of the entrance gate to the front of the vestibule of the inner gate was 50 cubits. There were beveled window frames in the gate chambers and in their intervening archways on the inside of the gateway all around, and likewise in the vestibules. 
There were windows all around on the inside, and on each gatepost were palm trees. Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 1 and 6 through 16. Ezekiel chapter 40, chapter 41, chapter 42. I am so excited to teach this today because this is something we haven't taught before. And uh, I really look forward to it. You know, Ezekiel, he was living in ancient Babylon when Jerusalem was captured. He was a priest with no temple or place to worship God. You know, God had chosen to destroy the temple but not because the Lord was upset or angry with the temple itself, but he was very disappointed with the people who worshiped there. They had sinned horribly. That three-letter word, S-I-N, is real and is used to describe the rebellion towards God. And God judged them accordingly. We are the ones who miss the mark of God and his work and his will. In our study of Ezekiel chapter 40, God takes the prophet to the land of Israel and puts him on a high mountain in his vision. That's very unusual for prophets. Normally, they are given the words that God would give to them to speak. But in Ezekiel's case, the Lord took him to a physical place in a vision. For Ezekiel, God would give the house of Israel and us a glimpse of the sites, measurements, and details of the new city and the new temple. It is something else. Now, the next couple of days, we're going to study this. It's going to be very, very good. And uh, let me just say quickly that if you have your Bible guide, I'm going to show it to you so you can see what it looks like. If you're watching this program for the first time, here it is. And uh, it's 40 pages. And it takes you through the Bible. And today, we are going to look at Ezekiel chapter 40. We're going to study simply, you know, 12 verses there today. But it's important to recognize that God is taking us through his word to realize what he's saying for us today, right now. So make sure you write for yours, call for yours, or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Now, as we begin to study this, we learn that a new city or a new temple is shown. And we're going to study this for the next two days. That's in chapter 40 with the northern gateway and the gateways to the inner court. Uh, the sacrifices were prepared and the chambers and the singers and the priests and the dimensions of the inner court. Uh, and also in 41, the dimensions of the sanctuary. And then in 42, the chambers of the priest. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating. And let's pray. Father, I pray today. As we look at these details recorded for us to see, and there's a lot of places we could go with these details. You know that, Lord. But help us to hear you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Now, look at verse 1. This is important. Chapter 40, verse 1. Look at what it says. It says, in the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, is very specific, in the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. Okay, do you understand that? God speaks through specific times and places. God is speaking. Now, Ezekiel's going there, but God is speaking to us. 
God's word is presented across all of time. This is for us to read today and hear and understand and learn. And let me tell you something, we've been doing it for 32 years and I'm gonna do it as long as I live because I love it. As long as God will make a way, we're gonna do it. And he uses you to help us, so we'll do it. Now, chapter 40, verse six, let's begin there. Then he went to the gateway, which faced east. And he went up its stairs and measured the threshold of the gateway, which was one rod wide and the other threshold was one rod wide and each gate chamber was one rod long and one rod, rod wide. Between the gates chambers and the space of five cubits and the threshold of the gateway by the vestibule of the inside gate was one rod. He also measured the vestibule of the inside gate, one rod, and then he measured the vestibule or vestibule of the gateway, eight cubits, and the gate post, two cubits. And the vestibule of the gate was on the inside. In the eastern gateway were three gate chambers on one side and three gate chambers on the other, and three were all the same size. Also, the gate posts were of the same size on this side and on that side. Now, what in the world can we gather from this? The temple has specific measurements given and recorded. Let me tell you, God always pays attention to the details. I need to tell you that in our relationships, in our effects and how we do things, God pays attention to the details. Now, we often forget the details because we're not thinking about it. We would do well to remember that God knows all the details. And so when we come to him and confess it, that's what we need to remember. And we need to say, Lord, help me to do the right things. I'm going to forget the details, but help me to do the right things at the right time in the right place. And you know what will happen? People will say, man, the Lord really used you there. It was the Lord. It wasn't you, even though God used you. Ezekiel was being used to measure the new temple. I'm telling you, that is incredible. All right, let's go on and look at some of these measurements further. It says in verse 11, he measured the width of the entrance to the gateway, 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. There was space in front of the gate chambers, one cubit on this side and one cubit on that side. And the gate chambers were six cubits on this side and six cubits on that side. Then he measured the gateway from the roof on one, of one gate chamber to the roof of the other. Width was 25 cubits as door faces door. Now, he measured the gate post 60 cubits high and the court all around and the gateway extended to the gate post. From the front of the entrance gate to the front of the vestibule of the inner gate was 50 cubits. There were beveled window frames in the gate chambers and in their intervening archways on the inside of the gateway all around. And likewise, in the vestibules, there were windows all around on the inside and each gate post, on each gate post were palm trees. Now, this is something else I'll tell you right now. So we have to remember this because it's important. And let's go on quickly to the next point, three. Ezekiel sees palm trees on each gatepost. Now that's important, I'll tell you why. 
Palm trees represent peace, which is God's work in our lives through the Prince of Peace. That's exactly what he's called, the Prince of Peace. So that's the name of Jesus Christ. Now, everybody is thinking about peace today because they need it and we need it and we want it. Well, the Prince of Peace, the one who commands it, that is Jesus Christ. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Now you've heard me say this and I'm gonna say it again. It's not time to mess around with this and mess around with that and think it's time to come to Jesus Christ. Now is the time, beloved. Come to the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you. I believe you died on the cross, rose again in the flesh, and I need you in my life to be Lord right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come to Christ today. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Now, we are in the portion of Ezekiel that uh, begins to prophesy restoration. So Ezekiel, you know, a big chunk of Ezekiel's book is all about judgment, not only judgment of Judah and Jerusalem, but judgment of other nations as well. And now once we reach this section of Ezekiel, you know, about 38, 40 and beyond, uh, we're looking at restoration and, and hope and how God is going to bring things back. And that got me thinking about the blessings of God on Israel and on Judah, which were undoubtedly expressed in the early days, uh, you know, back in Exodus and Joshua by the abundance of the land and by the fruitfulness of the land. So I wanted to take a look uh, with you today at some of the fruit trees that are mentioned in the Bible as being part of the Holy Land. Throughout the Bible, there are many references to different types of fruit trees. Nearly synonymous with the Middle East even today is the olive tree, which is mentioned in the Bible as one of the main products of Israel. In the ancient world, olives were grown for their oil rather than for the fruit in its raw state. These evergreen trees bloom in the early summer with hundreds of small white flowers. At harvest time, the trees would be beaten with sticks to dislodge the olives that would be collected and carried off to be pressed for their oil. Olive oil had many applications. It was a staple of food preparation, was used medicinally to treat wounds, practically as fuel for lamps, and religiously as offerings for anointing and to light the tabernacle and temple. Biblically, olive trees are used symbolically to represent blessing, and on the flip side, their destruction is seen as God's judgment. They're also used as a symbol of beauty. And famously, the prophets likely have olive trees in mind when they spoke of the Messiah as a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Olive trees were propagated not by seeds, but by their natural growth pattern of sending out shoots from the base of the trunk, which could be cut off and rooted into a whole new tree. Even after felling an olive tree, leaving only the stump, the tree would send out these shoots from the base, which in Israel became a symbol of children rising and growing on after the death of their fathers. Psalm 128 verse 3 says, Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. 
Pomegranates were also cultivated in ancient Israel, and the interior seeds of the fruit were eaten fresh, dried for longer storage, pressed for juice, wine, and syrup production, and the fruit rinds may have been used medicinally. Symbolically, pomegranates were used to represent fertility or fruitfulness, and they adorned the priestly clothing, the decor of the temple, and were a popular design in everyday life. Figs were another important fruit grown in ancient Israel. They were a key element of the economy, and they had two harvests, the winter harvest, which was eaten fresh, and the summer harvest that was dried either individually or in cakes for food storage. For Israel, fig trees also symbolize that blessing of their covenant with God, and their destruction is envisioned as God's judgment. The sycamore trees of the Bible are also a type of fig tree, and these give six or more yields of fruit each year. Their figs were considered common food, and it's believed that in some instances, they may have been grown specifically for their wood. Dates, which grow on many varieties of date palm trees, were grown in locations throughout Israel and require extra care to ensure pollination of the flowers. The products of date palms are dates, of course, as well as date honey. Its leaves are used in the making of baskets and woven products, its fibers make cloth and rope, and its sap can be extracted as a fresh or fermented drink. Now on tomorrow's program, we're gonna be doing a close-up look into a specific fruit, but today was just uh, kind of an interesting overview of some of the sustenance that people celebrated and enjoyed in ancient Israel and ancient Judah. And we see a lot of this happening now as Israel uh, is a superpower in the Middle East and they see we see a lot of fruit trees growing in there. And uh, Oh yeah, lots of cultivation, lots of farming, lots of orchards, for sure. I mean, it's incredible. The desert's turning into a ground for farming. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, Ryan, go ahead. All right, well, today our reading is Ezekiel chapters 40 to 42, and the prophet is beginning to look ahead to a new Jerusalem and a new temple with priests and everything. In fact, the rest of his book is all about the exciting things to come. So I thought that as we read about the future, it would be good to remind ourselves of the past. And when God first told Moses to build him a house, it was actually a tent tabernacle. And God ordained Moses' brother Aaron as the very first high priest. And that's who I want to focus on today. Although he was the older brother of Moses, he didn't grow up like Moses did. But instead, he grew up as a Hebrew citizen in the midst of Israel's slavery in Egypt. It was not a good time for Israel. But Aaron and Moses, through God, would bring the people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Though he was born in the prosperous nation of Egypt, as a Hebrew, his life would be full of toils and hardships. Indeed, Aaron was born during Israel's 400-year period of slavery in Egypt. Although his infant brother Moses got passed off as an Egyptian and grew up in the royal palace, Aaron would not be quite so privileged. Still, despite these two very different upbringings, in time, the two brothers' paths would once again converge. And it would be with the same purpose of mind, to free the Hebrew people from their Egyptian captors and deliver them to their promised land. It was a plan orchestrated by God himself, who instructed the now 83-year-old Aaron to go meet his now 80-year-old brother in the wilderness. By this time, Moses had fled from Egypt after killing an Egyptian and had lived in Midian for 40 years. It had been a long wait, but the time had finally come to break the bonds of slavery off of Israel. 
So God commissioned Aaron and Moses to confront Pharaoh and free their people. Moses would lead the operation, but Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece. In fact, not only did Aaron address Pharaoh on behalf of Yahweh, but he also performed signs and enacted the plagues. Throughout the Exodus and wilderness wanderings, Aaron would remain in a leadership role, second only to Moses. Actually, Aaron would later be established by God as Israel's very first high priest, and his descendants would carry on in this holy service. Unfortunately, Aaron also had some moral failings. The most significant of these occurred during Moses' 40-day encounter with God on Mount Sinai, where he received the Ten Commandments. With Moses gone so long, the people feared that he and God had abandoned them. So they said to Aaron, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Tragically, Aaron submits to their plea and molds a golden calf, at which the people proclaim, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron's rebellion against Moses is another significant moral failure. Significantly, while both Aaron and their sister Miriam speak against Moses, only Miriam is struck with leprosy. Since Aaron was the high priest, leprosy, which would make him unclean and unfit for temple service, would have been a serious penalty. Indeed, Aaron and sons all served as priests before God, though his sons Nadab and Abihu were killed by God for offering impure fire. Unfortunately, Aaron would also die prematurely. In fact, for Moses and Aaron's error at Kadesh, neither of them would be granted entry into the Promised Land. As per God's instructions, Aaron climbed Mount Hor, where Moses removed his priestly garments and put them on Eleazar, Aaron's oldest surviving son. It was upon this mount where Aaron died at the age of 123. You know, it's always tragic reading about this golden calf incident, this turning away, this resistance to the one true God. And in the New Testament, Stephen actually uses this event as a warning to the Jews. And he says in Acts 7, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. That's Jesus Christ. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And now this was a very powerful address by Stephen, and it was so powerful that it actually got him killed, ironically adding yet another of God's messengers to the long list of murders. So let's take Stephen's address to heart. Let's not resist God. He says in his word that he sent his son Jesus to save us from death, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to God the Father except through him. So the only question now is, what are you going to do with that? Will you resist the Holy Spirit, or will you allow him to move into your life? Ezekiel has shown and is showing us the glorious future God's children will have. And you can do that right now and pray. Close your eyes and pray to lock out everybody else and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I take you as Lord of my life. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. And I need you in my life. Help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that and mean it, God will answer that prayer. Janice? And when you do that, you become a new creation. 
And that was what my segment was all about today. Because as I read this chapter in Ezekiel, chapter 40, it's about a new city and a new temple. And what fascinates me every time that I, I read through this, because we are learning about the eastern gateway of the temple, the outer court, the northern gateway, the southern gateway, gateways of the inner court where the sacrifices were prepared. There's so much information here, so many details. And God is a God of details. He is the creator of the universe and he created and Jesus Christ made. This is where our world and our existence comes from. But more than that, we know that we become the temple of God when we give our lives over to Jesus Christ. We become a new creation and we become born again. And that born again, it's like our spirits become ignited. They become alive and one with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit fills us and he becomes our teacher. We begin to, to spend time in his word. We, we pray and have a relationship with the living God. That is the most amazing thing that I can think about. I want to read you a couple of passages. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Uh, Paul was talking to the church at Corinth. And he said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you know, when you think about God listing out all these details and all these measurements and all these things for us to, to take in. And, you know, I, I know as I'm reading through, my brain is trying to, to visualize and process all of this information. And it's not humanly possible. I don't believe. But um, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking that God is such a personal God and he knows me. He knows you, every intimate detail. Um, a very famous verse and a favorite of mine is Jeremiah 1.5, where he told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations, which is really why I believe that life begins even before conception. It, it begins in the heart and the thought of God. And also Psalm 139 is also one of my favorites. There's no time to read it all, but if you would turn to it at home and make this a reading assignment, just part of it says, this is God speaking, or this is David talking to God. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet informed and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Again, I want to say, if you are somebody who is not really living for the Lord, then wake up. You should. We should all live for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for not living for you. Help us to live for you. Help us to dedicate our lives to following you and doing your will in this world right now. In Jesus' wonderful name, this is what we pray. And we all said together, whatever nation we're in, we all said together, 
Make it so, Lord. Amen.